Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. The SA taking you inside the Festival State's tennis community thanks to thefirstserve.com.au, your home of tennis. Welcome to edition four of the SAC. I'm Bevan Jones, where each month I take you inside the South Australian tennis community. In our fourth edition, I catch up with longtime coach in South Australia, Peter Clark, 17-year-old former player turned up-and-coming tennis umpire, Tegan White, and Brandon Oster, Tennis SA award winner for services to volunteering. Let's get into it. Peter Clark has been coaching for three decades. He has been one of Adelaide's leading tennis coaches, set up as Peter Clark Tennis Coaching at Athelstan Tennis Club in Range Road, Paradise. He has produced many top national players. We covered some ground in our chat, and I wanted to get his take on the hot topic of UTR to begin with. Thanks Thanks for the call, Bevan. Now, the vast majority of feedback that has come into the first serve, of which the SA scene is a part of, is that the way in terms of UTR has been implemented in competitive play this year. It's been to the detriment of the sport, particularly at the performance level. Player dropouts from tournaments, regional tennis is struggling as well. What's your thoughts on it, Peter? Basically, the old system encouraged people to play tournaments because they needed to get points. You want to get into nationals or you want to get your rankings up or you had to get points. So more tournaments you played, more points you got. So that system encouraged play, but the downside of that system was then you had people that would spend a lot of money, travel to Tasmania, travel to Darwin, play week tournaments, get cheap points. So the rankings weren't completely reflective of standard. So that's what made UTR come in was the fact that the rankings weren't accurate. So they could be manipulated, but they were making people play tournaments. So now we're bringing UTR and what's happening is everyone is misunderstanding UTR. best way to get a UTR up is to play lots of matches. The best way to play lots of matches is to play tournaments. But everyone looks at a tournament draw and says, ah, oh, I'm the highest person in it. It's not worth me playing. I won't be able to improve my UTR, which is actually incorrect. You can improve your UTR playing lesser players as long as you beat them comfortably. So what's happening is the best players keep pulling out, they keep pulling out, they keep pulling out until no one's playing. The education around UTR has been pretty pretty poor. The UTR is a far more accurate system to judge how good somebody is. So the rankings are more accurate, but it doesn't encourage people to play. So we're seeing massive dropouts in the tournaments. So somehow I think they need to marry UTR with some system that you've got to pay X amount of tournaments to be selected in a state team, X amount of tournaments to have to go to nationals or like you can play UTR tournaments at your local club tournament. Local clubs can organise UTR tournaments and people can get a high UTR without playing the tournaments, whereas what the tournaments always did was bring the best players in the state or Australia together to play, so the best would play. UTR's stuffing that up a little bit. So, yeah, it's it's got some problems. I think they're easily fixed if some people with a few brain cells get together and sort it out. Yeah, very interesting points you raised there. Now, for all the players you're coaching, Peter, 
who aspire to progress through to that next pathway, are there enough playing opportunities here in Australia, you think? And can we do it better here as well? Whether you're talking Australia or South Australia, our biggest problem is population. You know, it's very hard when you've got, say, we're from Adelaide, so you've got a population of one million. Generally, you can come to become the best player in South Australia just by being a pretty good ball striker. And that person just wins because they hit the ball better than everybody else. You take that over to Europe, well, compared to Australia, they've got about 30 times their population. In Australia, there's 25 kids equal to the best in Adelaide. You take that to Europe and you're starting to talk, you know, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of these kids are as good as our best kid. So then those kids who are all really good ball strikers are playing each other. They develop a toughness that we just can't duplicate here because the good kids are winning too easy. We're a little bit handicapped in simply from a population perspective and being so far away from the major tennis centres in Europe and things like that. So Tennis Australia is trying to do a really good job at the moment. They're taking our best kids overseas at 12 and 14, so they're getting to see, getting involved in that area where they've got to learn what they've got to do to get better. So TAs in the last few years are starting to understand that we need to get our kids over there. So I don't think there's a lot more they can do. Population makes it tough. And now one of the girls you coach, uh, Diana Badlin, made it to the final of the under-18 ITF tournament in Adelaide recently and, and represented in the under-14 team in Europe as well. What's she like to coach? Diana's a classic point that I just raised. Diana in Australia on a hard court goes out there can hit. It's really clean and big from the back of the court, but then struggles a little bit. If you can make life a bit tougher for her, you know, put a bit of height on the ball, keep the ball a bit low, keep it out of her strike zone. If she can learn to be tougher when people can make it more uncomfortable for her, she could be anything. The mental side of the game is the hardest part of the game, so there's a lot of good ball strikers out there that never end up particularly good because they never quite grasp the mental side. And this is what I'm saying about in Europe. And this is what Diana found when she went to Europe. She struggled because they were used to getting good shots back. They knew how to defend their core. So where Diana could win quite easily in Australia, she found she kept trying to win easy in Europe. And the only way she was going to win in Europe was doing it tough. You know, she had to make more balls. She had to wait wait longer for the right ball. Right? She lost the final on Sunday for the same reason. She played young Katie at. She plays a similar game to the Europeans. Gives the ball a little bit of loop, plays a few short slices, keeps the ball out of the slot. So Diana was a lot more, better ball striker than Caitlin, but Caitlin made it hard for Diana to win the points easy. Diana went too soon, made too many errors. So if Diana can get that part fixed, like if Diana plays smart, Someone like Caitlin wouldn't be able to compete with her. A lot of tennis, it's not always the best ball striker that wins. Yeah, well said, exactly. It's a good experience for her to be able to play in Europe at, at such a young age as well. And, you know, like you said before, get that experience and it will only, only sort of put her in good stead. What's going to happen with her is, and, you know, she's realised she needs to be able to do to become a better tennis player. So what we'll find out in the next six months, 12 months, two years is... As much as she knows what she's got to do, can she do it? Can she get into a tough match and tough it out when someone makes life difficult for her? Or will she get angry and impatient and go for too much? It's like, it's one thing to know how to do something. It's another thing to be able to do it when the pressure's on. And at this stage, like she played a magnificent match in the quarterfinal and an even better one in the semifinal. Played fantastic, really tough, but she played girls that hit hard balls. People were trying to beat her with hard balls and the ball was coming through the slot. And she was 100% comfortable and played absolutely brilliantly. If you saw that match, you would think she would have killed the girl in the final. The girl in the final didn't give her that ball. Only people that really understand the game would actually understand how Caitlin beat Diana in that final. It wasn't by hitting brilliant shots. It was by making it awkward.
Katie's probably 17 at a guess. Diana's a 14-year-old. So Katie's a, she's a good, solid, you know, she's going to be a top state league tennis player for a long time. You know, it'd be interesting if she can make a jump further than that, but yeah, hardly anyone does. Yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Taking that next you know, next step for sure. People got to realise we produce two top hundred women in fifty years in South Australia. The odds aren't good. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so not... yeah, when you talk about Diana, look, Diana probably has the ability to be a top hundred tennis player. She's got to have the dedication to training for another five or six years. You know, she's got to become incredibly tough in the head. Got to stay injury free. There's a lot of things that have to go right for someone. There's a lot of people that could do it. Like I grew up with um, Mark Woodford, Darren Carl. I know too well, but I played a bit against Mark, um, even John Fitzgerald, Rob Dyke to a lesser degree. No, I think Dyke was pretty talented. The other three were probably eight, eight and a half out of ten on talent. These guys worked for six, seven years from 16. I mean, they just put in the time, they put in the effort, they, they ticked every box to become professional tennis players. They weren't freaks. So there's a lot of people with the ability to be able to be good, but it's whether they do the work that those guys did. And very few people do it. I saw many, many players way more talented than those guys that never got there because they never did the work. And in, term, in terms of some of the others that are coming through to keep an eye on that you're coaching at the moment, Pete, as well as Diana? Oh, look, I've got little Hannah Park. Uh, Hannah's... I think at the moment, number three in Australia, so she'll probably go to Europe next year in the Australian team. They're all mainly girls, but I've got, I think, in the 2011 age group, I think I've got five of the top ten girls in South Australia. And you've got a little Topeka Kuma, Lysia. Topeka's number three, Lysia Wang is number four. Either of those girls could do something really special. Then the age group below that, I've probably got five out of ten in that one as well. I've got a group of them. I've got a little um, Casey Kwong, I think, will probably be very good. A Sydney Saravan that I think is potentially going to be very good. Cynthia Kwong. I've probably got 12 little girls at the moment, 11 and under, who could any of them could be anything. Always enjoyed working with good kids. You won't go back to Diana, I think, four or five years ago. But she can't, you know, I've coached Diana since she was five years old. Then once she started getting... She started coming good. The girls around her that were already in the club, she sort of dragged a few of them along. Three years later, little Hannah's turned up as a five-year-old. So all of a sudden, I've got these two top Australian kids, but they're having this effect on all the other kids around them. If you've got any talent, you will always try and be the best. So if you're around people who are the best in Australia, you gravitate to that standard. If you're around people who are only good club players, that's what you gravitate to. So all of a sudden, I've got this situation where my girls are gravitating to the best in Australia. So then all the girls around them start getting good. People start wanting to come because of all those girls. All of a sudden, I don't have to do five or six years of work to produce someone to a good tournament standard. Someone else has done the work for three years. They come to me and they're, you know, they're a pretty good little tennis player. Then it's So it gets easier as you get better players to get more better players, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and speaking of better players, your club, Athelstan Tennis Club, which you've been a part of for many years, um, boasts close to the highest number of junior teams in the state. Uh, this also must make you feel pretty proud. And, and what is it about Athelstan that you enjoy so much to have been there for so long, Pete? No one tells me what to do. <laughs> I, I basically ran Appleston pretty much by myself from the playing perspective I think when we first started when I'm nearly 60 now I started when I was about 30 so I've been there 30 years when I first started they had six senior teams and they had no juniors we had a fantastic bunch of guys on the social committee and we quickly built that up to I think they ended up 18 or so senior teams. The junior numbers were always 12 or 14 teams. Over time, guys that helped me run it back then all got families, got married, and I ended up doing it by myself, literally. If 
15 years. From a coaching perspective, it was great. I didn't, you know, coaches, committees sometimes just try and tell coaches what to do and most committees don't know what they're talking about. So having a free reign made it really easy for me. And what's happened in the last couple of years, all of a sudden I've started to get a committee back around me. They stay completely out of organising teams. They stay completely out of my coaching. They do everything else about running a tennis club and they do a really good job. I used to have to do all that, so they've taken a lot of pressure off me. The great thing about Appleton is really is I run it. Whereas very hard being a coach when you've got people who don't really know what they're doing. The group we got up there at the moment, we've gone from twenty years ago, I think I had Asian Indian kids, a couple of Eastern Europeans. The club is now probably fifty percent Asian, twenty five percent Indian. We're probably only about fifteen, twenty percent Western European. These people are so passionate. Group we got up there, they just we'll, we'll get all the kids out hitting. The parents will all just come out. You know, we'll have a little tournament. I'll have all the dads will empty my bar. They'll sit around and laugh all afternoon while the kids go out there and play tennis. These kids are some of the best kids in Australia and some of the best kids in South Australia. What we do is we run it sort of like a ladder. 12 kids on court playing singles because we've only got six courts and 12 kids off and then they rotate. But in between, all the ones that are off, they just run around laughing their heads off. Really nice, happy atmosphere up there, which is part of, you know, part of what I try and do is you try and educate the, with the, the Asian background and the Indian background and the Eastern European background, the fairly strict background in parenting, but probably a little bit tougher than the Western Europeans. But I've managed to, I've managed to uh, make them a bit more relaxed. The main thing that's got to happen with the kids is, they're going to have fun. Yeah. And pretty much, I've probably got a 95% buy-in with the parents that when they're out there, the kids are actually out there having a good time, supporting the kids, getting them out in the court, hitting with them without really trying to boss them around all the time. That's what it's all about, exactly having fun. I quite often, I'll, I'll be coaching on a court and all of a sudden I'll see one of the parents on the other court. Most of my kids, they try 100%. You can hear the tone of the voice. All you're hearing from that parent is negative, 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 negative. And at that point, I just walk off my court, go over there and sort the parent out. What they've got to understand is the kids love coming to tennis. They want to keep coming, and they love tennis, and they'll become really good. We're the parents, and this is where we're getting a pretty good success rate, the parents doing this right, because I bang on it a a lot. It's really about getting parents to understand that if they want their kids to be good at tennis, the kids have to love tennis. There's nothing enjoyable about having some parent abusing you for two hours straight. And, you know, I lost a couple of really promising pupils last year because I just consistently had a go at the father. I think he had a, he got sick of me having a go at him. I couldn't, I, it's one I couldn't change. I don't think that's a bad thing because, like you said, there's one of those things where you've got a talented kid, but they're going to lose interest in the sport if they've got a parent that's just constantly on their back and constantly having a go at them. So yeah. I think you're absolutely your attitude is fantastic and what you're doing is great and and yeah you might lose a couple along the way but you're going to gain more than lose more those ones i lost if that parent keeps going the way they keep going what's going to happen as soon as those kids are old enough to tell their parent where to go they're going to tell their parent to shove it and they're going to make tennis shove it and the problem is you know you get you get these occasional people you get an andre agassi you get a blatant Stewart that comes through from pretty harsh parental backgrounds People see that's the way to do it, but what people don't see for the successes, like if you just talk to Leighton Short, I mean, he'd probably absolutely crazy living daylights out of his parents because look what it got him in being in tennis as long as me. Like I've had friends, I, I had one one friend, I rang up to get condolences, his father had passed away. His answer to me was, I don't care, I effing hated him. Now, this guy was loved by, the father was loved by most people, yet yeah, when that kid was when that guy was young, was like, that guy hated his father because how the father treated him through tennis. The tennis, he, dad was a tennis nut, and he did it the way I'm trying to stop my parents doing it. 
you can get success that way. But when you're thinking we've made, so we're talking females, two 100 players in 50 years. So, and then you've got half a dozen or a dozen of these psycho parents in every age group making their kids a misery. 99.9% of these are just ruining the relationship with their kids. Even in men, we've had, like Graham Sites, we had Fitzy, Guyke, Woodford, Kale, I reckon Leighton, five, five in 50 years. So that's only one every 10 years. So when you actually start looking at those odds and you're thinking like these parents are destroying their relationships with their kids for tennis, it's, I wouldn't be ruining my kid for those odds. Kids going to really love me if I turn them into a professional tennis player, but yeah, you've 99.9 to 1 chance of actually succeeding. We will move on to the next uh, the next question I want to yeah. ask you about, Peter, because, again, once again, it's it's clear from your voice that you're so passionate about it, absolutely love it, and you've done such a remarkable job throughout your tennis career as a coach and also as a player. But uh, where did the tennis passion come from originally? Was it through family? You just mentioned before family. was Were, were your parents into tennis? My dad was a complete junkie. Dad was a coach. We came from Port Pirie. Both mum and dad were really sporting people. Mum played a bit of tennis, but she was the, the best hockey player in Port Pirie. Dad was, well, actually in Port Pirie, he, when Dad was around, the, the standing in Port Pirie tennis was through the roof. My dad came down to play, he played Glenelg Districts. Didn't lose a match playing number two division one in Glenelg. So we're not really quite sure how good he was. Okay, he didn't lose at that level. He was probably a bottom state league standard player. I mean, he was good, but he was, he was a very good coach. He coached Quite a few good players up in Port Pirie. Yeah, it was his, his passion, really. I just loved it as a kid. That's, you know, my life as a kid was, you know, Dad might give me an hour or two a week of coaching, but every, all the rest was just getting out there playing with my mates. So, but then I, I quit tennis. I was always a state number one or two, 10 through to 15. Injuries pretty much clobbered me for about three years. So I was about 18. And then I just quit. And then I didn't play for another probably five years. And then I was working in a bank, hating it. Used to enjoy working, coaching with dad. Oh, I'll be a tennis coach. I thought, oh shit, better turn myself back into a tennis player. So then I turned myself back into one of the better local tennis players. You know, I was never, never good enough to go on the circuit or anything like that, but you know, I was very competitive at number one playing high state league, but I only did that for a couple of years before my knees blew up at 27. So, but yeah, all the passion came from exposure from dad. And it's, it's a good example of like what you spoke about before about having parents that are supportive and, and encourage you to to do what you enjoy and, and or whatever it is, whatever whatever sport it might be. Now I've got a young daughter myself and that's exactly how I'll be. You know, I'll be encouraging her to do whatever she likes as long as she enjoys it. And, you know, if she's very talented at it, well, so be it. You, but you don't sort of push them in, in a way like you mentioned before where they dislike you and dislike the sport and turn away well, from it. You just make sure well, you encourage them. This is how my dad went about it. What dad did do is like before all the tournaments, it was, um, if I wanted to train in the mornings, the rules were simple. I put on my alarm clock, I went and dragged him out of bed. If I dragged him out of bed, off we'd go. If I didn't get him out of bed, that was it. Like, he would always make these do these, the most boring thing in the world, practice on my ball toss. If I couldn't do 18 out of 20 of these horrible ball tosses, I'd get an inner netball ring onto a racket on the ground. If I couldn't do it, he wouldn't take me to tennis. <laughs> I actually really liked his theory. I didn't particularly like it at the time. His theory was pretty simple. He said, well, if you want me to waste my time coming out to coach you, you do the practice so what I'm trying to teach you will work. If you're not prepared to put in a bit of time, why should I? So he wasn't dragging me out there. He said, well, if you want it, you've got to do this. The way Dad did it, everything about my tennis was driven by me. My drive was there. He would give everything he's got as long as I was 
long as it was coming from me. What I don't like when I see in the parents is when the parents are trying to drive it and they're dragging the kid out because the kid's got to do the practice. It's like people ask me how much is too much tennis and it's a real simple answer. Too much is when the kid doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well said. I get there's a group of coaches going around at the moment they're getting on about, you know, kids are training too much and they're burning them out and there's not an, a set amount of hours which is too much. Maybe from a physical standpoint, there's, you know, there's an hourly too much from a physical standpoint that they might injure themselves. But from a mental burnout perspective, it is if a kid absolutely loves being on a tennis court 20 hours a week and just you can't get them off it, that's fine. If you've got a kid that's out there five hours a week and freaking, and they're happy to do five, but if you try and make them do more of that and they hate it, well, five's the number. It's a really great way to, to finish. And what the parents have to realise is the kid's not that motivated to do that much. One, don't force them to do it. But two, don't spend zillions of dollars on their tennis. It's not going to go anywhere. If your kid, if your kid wants to do the work, and that's what we do in our business, is we, um, as soon as we see some passion in the kids, we have a chat to the parents and say, look, if you're going to spend extra money on your child, you're not going to be wasting it because they want it. We've got a million kids come out for a group of four lessons for half an hour a week. We don't, we don't say much to many of them. They come out, let them enjoy themselves. But as soon as we see one that starts, you can see the hunger. Then we have a word to the parents and then we put them in a system where we get them into squads and we get them doing a lot of training. And that's where we get the so many good numbers is we get we get the interested ones doing some work. We don't do much with the uninterested ones. Let them play Saturday morning club tennis, come to a free club practice on a Monday night. Yeah, they'll practice an hour and a half a week. If they want to, cost very little money. They'll play a good, reasonable club tennis. But as soon as we get those interested ones, they'll come and do two or three squads a week. They get them into the tournaments. You get them involved with all the tennis SA programs. Yeah, you get the interested ones doing some work. And that's where we find that we produce, we're producing probably a quarter of the tournament players running around the place. It's because we do the work. We get the motivated little ones doing stuff. Whereas it doesn't seem that a lot of, there's three or four other coaching programs that do similar. But that's about it. You know, when we ask what we could do to do better, it's probably getting more, more coaching programs identifying talent and getting the talent to do a bit more work rather than just doing an hour a week and hoping the parents will take them out and hit with them. So that, that's our thing. It's like if you looked at Diana, Hannah, their parents have done nothing. Their parents don't take them out to hit. The parents don't feed them balls. The programs produce them. Whereas I think 95% of other coaching programs, you know, the kid will come for an hour tennis lesson and then unless the parent's going to take that kid out and hit with them 10, 15 hours a week, that kid's going nowhere. Whereas under our program, the parents will supply the hitting with this, our, the system we've got in place. So the parent doesn't have to be on court with the kid non-stop. So we, we produce players with, without fanatical parents. Our parents have to be, you know, they have to want to pay, but they don't have to get out and do the work. Our parents are, you know, there's not that many parents will actually just get out and do the work with their kids. But we find, my opinion is most coaching programs rely on a fanatical parent to do work. We just rely on parents to have some, have some money. Yeah, literally, to, to get a tennis player, you need you need a kid with some talent, kid with interest, a parent who's pretty motivated to give up some time and have some money. And if you miss one of those points, you're probably in a fair bit of trouble. Yeah, well, it's, a good, it's a good way to finish off there, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us okay. today on the SA scene. Really interesting to hear your insight. And again, congratulations on everything you've done as a player and coach so far and keep up the excellent work. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed the chat, Bevan. Great to catch up with Peter. Check out clarktennis.com.au. From Peter to 17-year-old Tegan White. She has played but is now taking on a different path in tennis, as we discover in our chat. (laughs) 
Tegan White, welcome to the SAC. Now, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you went from being a promising tennis player to now being the youngest fully qualified chair umpire in the country. Tell us about the transition from playing in, you know, into umpiring and, and your tennis journey so far. Well, I started playing on, uh, tennis when I was eight years old, which is um, quite a late start compared to a lot of other tennis players. Um, I started then playing tennis tournaments when I was 10. I got invited to play the Grass Court Nationals in Barrie um, when I was 11, and I was part of the Bruce Cup team um, there too. I lived in Canberra for a little while, so I was able to play on a lot of different surfaces, and that's where I found my love of playing on grass. Um, most weekends were away playing tournaments in different states. I was also uh, invited back to Adelaide um, to play the Junior State League, uh, Women's State League and Junior ITFs. Unfortunately, I did have a recurring back injury, which left me with really limited mobility. Um, so I found serving really difficult. Um, however, I still loved being part of the tennis community. I applied to become a bull kid for the first Adelaide International. And then I got invited back to um, do the Brazil versus Australia Davis Cup team then. Um, I got to see the pros in person, and it was it was just amazing being there. During the um, first Adelaide International when I was a bull kid, I heard a rumour that the line umpires just got better food than the bull kids at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so the next year when I turned 15, I applied to become a line umpire. And the rumours were true. The food was so much better, and we got paid on top of it, which was absolutely amazing. So from the um, progression from a line to a chair umpire, it seemed so natural for me. However, I wasn't sure if I'd get into the chair academy at the age of 16 because I was so young at the time. However, I quickly progressed through the chair academy since I was playing at such a high level and I had a great background on the game. Through the year of chair umpiring training, it was online at that time because it was COVID. Um, it took a lot longer for the uh, practical aspect. So I had to chair local tournaments rather than going to Melbourne and doing the course in person. Um, just after I completed the chair academy, I was selected to do the junior state league matches. I found that really strange because all of those kids growing up, they were in my age group, so I had to chair some of the kids I knew. After that, I then got selected to do the Canberra Clay Court Nationals, and then I achieved my level B in chair umpiring, which means I can now chair UTR pros, ITF juniors, and all national events. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations on that. And, and how did you Thank first get into tennis? Was it through an influence in the family, or you know, did you see someone on television like an idol, like an Ash Barty or someone like that growing up? Um, well, I did try many different sports as I was um, a kid. I really did enjoy little athletics and tennis the most out of all of them. I tried uh, dance, uh, netball, hockey, cross country, and the, the list goes on, really. Um, but it came to actually choosing a sport. Um, it wasn't really because of my parents or anybody I saw on television. It was because my tennis coach actually offered me lollies as a reward for hitting um, forehands and backhands into the court. So that, that's really how I got into it. <laughs> and how have you enjoyed being a chair umpire so far? I mean, you touched on doing games for people that you know, but uh, how have you found the pressure? Do you find it's more relaxed than playing or a bit the other way around? Um, well, I've really enjoyed all the experiences as a chair umpire as we got to like travel around. I got to travel to the clay courts this year and I went up to the Gold Coast for the national teams event at KDB. I really just enjoy the atmosphere when talking to other officials, but it's definitely more pressuring being in charge of the entire court. 
there are so many more things that you have to think about, observe, and people don't realize that. We don't just call the score out for players. Um, we have to keep track of all the line umpires and if they're in the right positions, all the ball kids if they're on court, and we have to control the spectators and the players as well. So it takes a really high concentration. So a match of two hours would be really exhausting for me. And yes, playing is so, so much easier. Obviously, you're doing a year 12 at the moment. How are you balancing that with your tennis commitments? I'm so lucky that my... Um, that my school has allowed me to do my JD coaching course as a vet course this year. So um, since it's a Cert 3 in sport coaching, I have been made an exception to swap that out for a, um, a school subject. So it's allowed me to pursue tennis as more of a career, as I feel like it's worth it. Since my school is a tennis uh, specialist school, uh, they make allowances for tennis opportunities, so not only for playing but becoming a coach or becoming an official. I've been very lucky to take time off school to chair and line umpire for some UTR and nationals events this year. And what is it about the coaching that you enjoy? I just love connecting with the kids. Um, it's been just an amazing opportunity. I get to keep in touch with my youthful side and I get to teach them about the sport I love. Yeah, that, that's really it. It's just an amazing opportunity. And in terms of your future goals, if you had to choose between coaching or umpiring, Tegan, which one would you go for and, and why? I really enjoy both coaching and umpiring at the moment uh, they offer me different opportunities uh, with umpiring it's although it is a high pressure working environment it, it allows me to travel and see different places meet new people which is I think amazing um, but with coaching I just really enjoy the weekly interactions with the kids and seeing how they're progressing how they're building up their tennis skills each week so it's it's really a tough choice at the moment so I love doing a bit of both I know that my career will be in tennis. Got to try and finish year 12, but uh, any other tournaments playing as, as a coach or also involved as, a, uh, as an umpire? Um, I was thinking for chair umpiring, it would be a very lovely opportunity if I could go to the December showdown for um, the two weeks that it's been played there. But I'll just have to wait and see if I get selected. It's just a lovely atmosphere for all coaches or officials or players, just all parents in general. And I've personally never been. I was never at that level at when I was uh, under 14. I would love to go as a, an official just to see maybe just a different perspective of everything else. And looking back on the last few years, obviously you mentioned before you had a back injury that unfortunately ended your uh, tennis playing career. Do you feel as though if that injury hadn't happened you, you could have taken things further with your playing career or, or do you feel as though um, you're probably going to have more success as a coach or, or umpire? I would have never picked up chair umpiring. I would have never picked up coaching if um, I didn't have the injury. Um, I might have probably got up to a really, really high level as a player, but who knows really? At the time, I did still do chair umpiring when I was a player, just to just see a different uh, perspective of the court, because when there's a chair, a chair umpire or a line umpire on court, they call the lines out for you, but as a player, you don't trust them. I would have never had these amazing opportunities to become a coach or to become a chair umpire if I didn't get injured. So in a way, it's a, it's a good thing. Tegan White, thanks so much for joining us on the SA scene. You certainly are a very impressive young girl, 17 years old. Um, you've definitely got uh, a long way ahead and very exciting times ahead as well. And your, your family should be extremely proud of, of what you've done so far and, and, and wishing you all the best in the future. Thank you very much for having me. Tegan White, we will follow her rise up the ranks in officiating. 
To round this edition off of the SA scene, we welcome in Brandon Oster from the Enfield Tennis Club. Honoured in 2022 and also stepping up to a bigger role outside of Clubland. Brandon Oster, welcome to the SAC Tennis Podcast. Great to have you on for a chat. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Your tennis career at Enfield Tennis Club began about 11 years ago and back in May this year, you received a Volunteer Achievement Award for your work with the City in the Hills and your involvement with Tennis in SA. What does this mean to you? Um, look, it was nice to be recognised, I guess, for the you know the time and the effort you put in at both the club and association level. Uh, but for me, the main thing, I think, really was, I guess, the reflection on the volunteers I have around me because... You know, as most volunteers would know, a lot of people don't do it on their own. Uh, I have some great help, particularly at club level, with some key volunteers who help me. And yeah, without them, really, I'm I'm nothing. So um, I think yeah, it's a good reflection and good for the club. So yeah. And your involvement as a volunteer, what drives you to be involved? I re- I really like being involved, like having my say. Yeah, it's just good to yeah give my opinion and help shape the way tennis looks in in the state. So someone who yeah naturally likes being involved, I guess. And what is it about tennis that you love that keeps you in the game for so long as well, Brandon? Friends that you make along the way. I think you know being a tennis four player teams a lot of the time, you make some pretty good bonds with you know, a few key mates there, which is great. But also, yeah, with tennis, you know, the great thing about the sport is you really only need one other player and yourself to go out and play and have a hit. So it's quite quite convenient. Yeah, also the comp uh, here in Adelaide where you're you know, playing against other clubs all the time and the people you meet and when you're sitting down watching another match where you're not playing and, you know, you meet some great people and some of whom I've, you know, had the pleasure of playing regularly over the last 10 or 15 years. So, yeah, I think that's why I like much. I totally agree. That's one of the best parts about being involved with any sporting club, isn't it? That friendships and, and even your opponents, you might go hard on the court, but off the court, it's always great to have a beer or a drink with them as well. Yeah, exactly right. What made you join Enfield at 11 years old? And, and you know, was it someone in the family that got you into tennis? And, and yeah, explain sort of how you, you first became involved and when, when you first picked up a racket. Yeah, so one of my mates actually uh, played from quite a young age and his dad uh, sort of identified a few of us, uh, you know, a few of the schoolmates who said, oh, you know, come out and give tennis a go. So four of us head out there and we have a hit and they go, oh, do you want to play on a team? And we go, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a crack. And so, yeah, we just started playing and a few of us stayed on and I just kept playing and, I don't know, that just became all of a sudden a sport for me. So, yeah, started playing what would be about 18, 19 years ago now and uh, haven't missed a season since. And I guess tennis is one of those sports as well, isn't it, where you can play for, you know, many years, uh, unlike footy where it's a, you know, heavy contact sport. Tennis is one of those sports where you can just keep on playing and you sort of see people playing in their 80s and 90s, don't you? Yeah, no, you do see quite a bit of that. Uh, yeah, the midweek competition here in Adelaide is, um, I think, pretty strong, uh, quite popular. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, you drive past some courts on a, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, there's a decent chance you'll, you'll see um, yeah, a bunch of older people out there having a hit or people who don't work during the day, which is always great to see. And I think that's one of the yeah, big appeals of it for me is you invest all this time in something, but you get to keep playing for a long period of time, which is which is great. And you're the president of, of both Enfield Tennis Club and the North East Tennis Association. What do you enjoy about this, Brandon, and explain a bit more about your role there? I, mean, I guess I started uh, with the Enfield Tennis Club. I started as the junior coordinator after I'd finished playing my juniors and then after a couple of years moved into the senior club captain role and then was identified from there as someone who would be good to take over as president. Again, like I've said, I just love giving my opinion, having my say. I back myself to make the best decisions on behalf of you know, members and the club and association and all of that. Yeah, I just like getting in there and having a go, really. It's also given me yeah, an opportunity to get involved, like you said, at the association level. I'm the president there, have been um, just elected for my fourth year there. 
but also the opportunities it's opened up to get involved at more of a metropolitan Adelaide level and, uh, you know, be involved in the seniors and the juniors and see how they run. Um, and then just recently as well as actually had the great privilege of being elected to the board of Tennis SA, um, which was a yeah, great vote of confidence in me from uh, the fellow associations. Um, so, yeah, I guess without all these other experiences, you don't get into those positions. So, yeah, that's been great. Yeah, only fairly new in the role still, but straight into the work. And, um, yeah, it's been a great start so far. And do you feel like tennis is in a pretty good position at the moment? Do you feel as though tennis has, has got a bit of work to do in the participation side of things with, with young kids as well? Or or you feel as though it's going OK? Well, I think we're in an OK position at the moment. Obviously, we've identified we can do better um, since I think around year 2000, our numbers have dropped a bit. We used to be the number one sport for participation. Now we're number three. Uh, but over the last five years, it sort of has steadied out a bit, which is a good sign. Um, so now we're just trying to really work on showing people why tennis is such a great sport, getting more people involved, people involved in clubs and just making it overall more appealing. Because like we said before, you know, it is a great sport and you can play it for such a long period of time. Um, so, yeah, we just want to get a lot of people involved in that. And what do you think you can do at a, at a junior level to, you know, get young kids involved with tennis? Because obviously a lot of them go on and play football, netball and some of these other sports, basketball and what have you. So there's always those challenges as well. What do you think that, that as, a, as a tennis community we can do to get more juniors involved? I think one of the things is trying to engage the parents. Uh, that's one of the things we've identified is if we can get the parents a bit more involved and show them that, you know, this is the sport to, to play, then that's going to help. Um, we're also doing, you know, we've got initiatives like the hot shots and things like that to, to make it that it's a bit easier for younger children or, um, children who might not have the best hand eye coordination and things like that early on to really help them get into the sport because it is you know, a higher entry level sport compared to your, your football or your soccer or things like that. So you're just really working on showing that what a great sport it can be. Uh, there's a lot of work that, that goes into it and it certainly takes, a lot of time out and then you, you put all that time and effort in and people still find it in them to, you know, complain and whinge and moan and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you don't get a great deal at thanks at times, which is, yep, just part of the job I've learned. But I think some of the most rewarding things is, you know, you meet the hardest working people in the community by being a volunteer and being in these positions. Uh, yeah, met some absolutely great people who put in, yeah, a lot more, time and effort than me as far as I'm concerned and yeah meeting those people's been great and I think overall it's you know very rewarding when you do see something you know come off and you can say yeah you know what I I was part of that and people might not know it but feels good absolutely without volunteers there's no sporting clubs mate and and trust me I'd certainly know the amazing work that volunteers do having played football for a number of years and, and other sports and that sort of thing as well. So, you know, you do a wonderful job. Keep up the great work. And, and what have been some of the changes that you've noticed since being involved in tennis over the years, Brandon? Yeah, one of the bigger things is certainly it's been harder to find volunteers over the last, you know, five, ten years. Uh, I think there's, there's just so many things to do in life these days and people are more and more time poor and, and they think, I guess, you know, if I'm not going to be a bit paid to do this, why would I bother? So it's certainly been a lot harder to find volunteers, which means that those who are doing it are taking on more and more work. And even, you know, we've had Tennis SA take over the administration of a lot of our competitions, which has eased the burden a little bit on volunteers, but those ones who are, you know, putting in the work, you know, not much has really changed for them too much. So I think that's been the been the biggest change. The other one, like I alluded to, people at time poor. They don't want to stick around at tennis matches like they used to on a whole Saturday afternoon anymore. 
Um, the parents don't want to stick around and support the rest of the team for their junior matches, which does take a little bit of the atmosphere away. And I think that's something that we do have to work on is trying to build that up. So it's, you know, people do want to stay around and be social and be a part of it. Well, Brandon Oster, thanks so much for joining us on the SAC Tennis Podcast. Again, congratulations on, on the award earlier on this year for Tennis SA. It's well-deserved. And like I said before, it's um, without people like you, mate, there's, there's definitely no tennis and no other sports. So keep up the great work and we look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks, Bevan. It's great to be here. Great to catch up with Brandon. Check out play.tennis.com.au backslash Enfield Tennis Club. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the SAC scene. If you'd like to recommend a guest to come on the show out of SA, drop us a line at thefirstservesen at gmail.com. That's thefirstservesen at gmail.com. Look forward to joining you next time for the SA scene. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, Read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free, and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.